I want to just exhort you today and encourage you to, to remember those that have fallen and also remember the heroes and family members in your life. And remember, say remember, but without yielding to or being trapped by the spirit of grief. Now, just by, just by a show of hands, how many could raise your hand and say you lost somebody very important to you in your life? You literally lost them to death. Raise it up high, and it's okay. You're very common, of course. And if you have not yet, you know, that's, that's somewhere down the line in your future. And what I would like to do today is from a pastoral standpoint, but from the platform of our recent loss, I've had this in my spirit a very long time, and I just feel impressed on this Memorial Day to encourage you because if you get stuck, then God can't use you the way he wants to use you. Are you here today? So I want to start over here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And listen carefully to how this is worded. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So there is grieving without hope, and there's grieving with hope. There's grieving as a believer, and then there's grieving as someone who doesn't know God. And the difference is monumental. And when you have, you have someone who's subject to the spirit of grief, they never progress. They are stuck in that process, that very common, commonly known process, the five stages of grief, but they never seem to get out of that. The believer, on the other hand, is not supposed to function that way. And yet, in all the years I've been a pastor, I can point to countless examples of people who grieve just like the world. Now, that's interesting to me because when it comes to being a believer, they don't want anything else to do with the world. They don't want the worldly view of how things are. They want God on the throne can have an amen. They don't want to live like the world, talk like the world, act like the world. They don't want to do anything like the world's lifestyle. They don't want the morality or the priorities of the world. And yet when it comes to grief, they'll do it just like the world. Why would they do that, Pastor? Because more teaching needs to be done in this area. Say it with me. We grieve not like the world that has no hope. Now, you could be here today and you could be stuck. But I can tell you this. You don't have to stay stuck. Amen. You can move forward today and be victorious over this thing. Because it's not just a matter of an emotion. It's actually a spirit behind the spirit of grief. They will love to lock you up all the days of your life. In other words, you have a loss and then you lose the rest of your potential, the rest of your purpose on this planet. No emotion, listen to me carefully. No emotion, no matter how strong, including grief, should dictate what you do or don't do. And sometimes Christians will give permission in grief in this very area when they wouldn't respond to any other emotion that way. You can feel an emotion strongly and still do what you're called to do. I had, you know, good people in and out of our family. How could you possibly, on Saturday your dad dies, and how could you possibly come up here Sunday morning and preach? I'll tell you why, because you can feel something strongly and still do what you're commanded to do as a child of God. In other words, God never said, you know, you're done because there's been a loss. And that needs to be the mindset of everybody in the body of Christ. If we're going to grieve like believers instead of like the world. Now, I'm not going to tell you that was the easiest thing I've ever done. It's not easy today. But I'll tell you this, believers don't do things by emotion. We do things by faith. That means on our worst day, we can still do what God's called us to do. It's critical that we get this. 
Often at times of grief, people will judge you by your emotions, the presence or absence of them. But the key indicator is how a believer is doing spiritually at that moment. Not how many boxes of puffs they go through or don't go through. Not how red their eyes are or not. Not how much they cry or not. That is not the indicator of how a believer grieves. You're an emotional being. God may give you emotions to experience your life, not to control your life. But that is not the indicator of how you are doing when it comes to the grief process. Can I have an amen? In fact, it has absolutely nothing to do with how you're doing. It's not uncommon for somebody to lose somebody and, and then three, four, five years later, a smell, a place, a location, a song can bring them to tears instantly. That has nothing to do with how they're doing spiritually. They're just having an emotional response to something that triggered a memory. Can, does that make sense today? As believers, we do things differently. We just can't accept the world's wisdom or the psychologist's wisdom of how to grieve. We've got to let the Word of God inform every part of our life, including grief. Believers can feel strongly and still stay in step with the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Look at somebody and say, that's what I'm going to do. Come on, say, that's what I'm going to do. Why, pastor, do Christians then get stuck? Well, they try to go through grief without God. Put him over here for a while until they're done. No, you can't do that. It won't work. They try to go through grief without others. You'll never, ever go through the process by yourself. Nobody can do this and do it God's way. The third one, and the one I want to focus on today, is they try to go through grief without the Word of God. And that simply means, even as believers, we'll accept the process, we'll accept the stages, but fail to do one important thing, and that is to apply the Word of God to their grief. On purpose. Intentionally. What does the Word say about this? How does the Word inform this? What is the Word's you know, way of handling this? That's what a believer does. Say, I'm a believer. What does a believer do? They believe. But in this area, I've watched Christians know this, hear this teaching, even confess the Word as first place and final authority, and then when they're hit with grief, they set it over here and try to handle this thing in a mental, emotional, psychological way instead of drawing on the power that is there in the Word of God to deal with this. Romans 15, 4, and this gives you the reason why we have to do it differently. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's the difference. The only way you're going to have hope is you're going to have to grieve by applying the Word of God because hope comes through the Word of God. Say this will be no word, no hope. So guess what? You can think and meditate and you can reminisce and you can cry and you can do all the things in the natural and the emotional realm and the mental realm in the realm of the will and not get whole in grief because you're not applying the only thing that can make you whole, the Word of God. Time does not heal all wounds. The Word heals all wounds. Do you see this today? How does the world grieve? Well, let's just take a moment to discuss that. First of all, no hope beyond the loss. The loss happens, that's it for them. Psychologically, mentally, emotionally, that's as far as they can go. Number two, there's no eternal perspective. 
Remember this, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in him, what will happen? Will live though he is dead. That's exactly the point. That eternal perspective doesn't come from the world. I was training one of my uh, you know, uh, members from Hopkinsville when he moved over here uh, in soul winning, and we went to see one of my professors at Murray State who is now uh, dead, and I, I want to say that he turned to Jesus and his previous understanding from his church, even though the church he attended was you know, an error on some things. And we did a little survey with him and asked him what, happened to, what would happen to him when he died. And he looked me straight in the eye and said, we just cease to exist. Well, you don't cease to exist. The only question is, where do you exist? Say it with me, where do I exist? It's so important to understand that. Number three, they have no eager expectation. There's nothing to look forward to in life because they tie their entire life and existence and being to the person that they lost in death. Number four, there's no sense of future. Number five, there's no horizon to shoot for. What a pathetic way to live. Number six, there's no goal to pursue. How many understand there's always something to pursue in God? He's always got something for you to do. And number seven, no sense of purpose outside of the person who is lost. Your purpose doesn't cease to exist because somebody died in your life. How many of y'all remember the day you were born? Some of you caught that. The rest of you will laugh about noon. Amen. <laughs> Maybe you don't. I do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can tell you this. She did. At nine pounds, nine and a half pounds, she remembered me. Amen. <laughs> she probably started busting out in tongues and she wasn't even spirit-filled at that point in time. Amen. <laughs> A big baby. I can tell you this. You came in by yourself unless you were a twin. And even then, you came in one at a time. In other words, you were a single child of God before you were ever married or in a family. God had a purpose for you then, and he has a purpose for you now. That's how different our mindset should be from this world. How does a Christian get hooked in grief? Just real quickly, I want you to write these down. Number one, the blame game. If you play the blame game, the spirit of grief is going to get you. Well, this person's to blame, and that person's to blame, and that's their fault, and they should have did this, and he should have done that, and I can't believe that person did this. No, you can play that game, including blaming yourself. And I promise you this, you're going to get hooked by the spirit of grief. That is not what we're called to do. And that doesn't mean that sometimes people aren't culpable for what they do, and, and God has every way and every reason to deal with that kind of a situation. But what I'm talking about is where the devil just takes you down this path where you just go one after another picking off people because somehow they are responsible for it. Let me tell you who's responsible for it, Adam and Eve. Well, how do I blame them? <laughs> You're missing the point. Even if Adam and Eve had to blown it, you would have. Let me rephrase that. You did. Amen. But ultimately, who's behind the temptation? The devil himself. Ultimately, of course, he's been stripped of the power. Amen? Our Lord has the power over the death, hell, and grave. Amen? But keep this in mind. The blame game is going to lead you into the spirit of grief. So just stop it. Look at somebody and tell them, just knock it off. Whether you've had lost somebody recently or it's in your future, do not play the blame game. It will hook you into a spirit of grief. Number two is the, uh, the game of regrets. Things that you shoulda, coulda, shoulda, woulda, 
You can do that all day long. Honestly, raise your hand if you did not immediately have some kind of regret in your heart when you heard somebody you loved passed away. Just honestly, you did that? Yeah. Now, that's normal, that's natural, but you have to measure that against what the Word of God says. First of all, there's not a thing you can do about it. Amen? Well, it shouldn't have been so ugly. It should have been more patient. It should have done this. It should have done that. Listen, that's not how the believer gets victory over the spirit of grief. In fact, walking down in your mind, David, all the regrets, you know, of how you didn't do this and you didn't do that, all that's going to do is hook you with the spirit of grief. Amen? Look at somebody and say, I'm no fish. I have no business being on a hook. Number three, the Anakin syndrome. What's the Anakin syndrome? You know, Anakin from Star Wars. He sought the power of the dark side to prevent his love, Padme, from dying. And somehow you're going to take on that same mindset. How, how could I have stopped this? What could I have done? I could have confessed more. I could have prayed more. I could have given more. I could have tithed more. Listen, you go down that path, and you're going down a path to get hooked into the spirit of grief. At the end of the day, you don't have the power of life and death. You understand what I'm saying to you? Other than the delegated power of your mouth, when it comes to life and death and resurrection, that's not in your hand. And I've seen it. I've seen several times where my mother-in-law came back from the dead after my wife had prayed for her. I have seen things in this church. And yes, God does that. But to sit there and act like, you know, you're going to cultivate the power to keep somebody from dying, you're slipping into a place that's far more, you know, difficult and dangerous than just grief. Amen? So knock it off. That's what happens to you. Amen? And I see this a lot. Now, somehow I should have just been able to muster enough faith to stop this from happening. Can I tell you sometimes? Um, sometimes it has nothing to do with your faith at all. Sometimes people have already made their peace with God long before you ever entered the picture. Amen. Brother Hagin was called upon to pray for a man who was in a coma. He was uh, just shy of 40 years old. He was 39 and he had a, a great reputation for ministering to people who had cancer and people that were in comas would come out of comas, just like Smith Wigglesworth had a great reputation for raising people from the dead. This is all, you know, historical fact, and we see it in the Word of God. And he, what he would do is he would open up the Bible, he'd read some scriptures, he wouldn't allow anybody in there that he even remotely thought was going to compromise the spirit of faith, and he would kneel down by their bed, and he would go to praying over that person, commanding them to come out of that coma. And when this man, he came across him, he knelt down by his bed. And as soon as he knelt down, the Spirit of the Lord told him, it says, that, you know, the, this situation cannot be reversed. He basically said that there were forces that were, that were placed in motion, and they cannot be reversed at this time. And he said, what do you mean? This man had been saying for decades, I'm never going to live to be 40. And here you come with your bad Anakin self. Their decision and their authority over their own life is going to weigh more than anything you can muster up. Look at somebody and say, so get over your God complex. Come on, tell them, get over your God complex. You're not him, that job is taken. And he does a really good job with it, amen? 
How does, a, how does a Christian get hooked? The blame game, regrets, Anakin syndrome, and then the what ifs. What if I had done this? And what if I had done that? And what if I had gone over here? What if I had done that? Well, you know, you can play that if you want to, but it's not going to produce any health in you. It's going to hook you into the spirit of grief. Amen. Now, we, we have an interesting balance as people of the word. We're, we're spirit-filled people. We believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe that he is the resurrection of the dead. We also believe he is well able to do it now. So we, we walk in an interesting perspective. But at the end of the day, you know, all of your thinking and meditation on what ifs is not going to produce anything but keep you smack dab in the middle of the spirit of grief all the days of your life. I sense even right now, just in sharing these things, people are going free. I said people are going free. They're snapping out of that thing in Jesus' name. Amen. What are the consequences of grief, the spirit of grief? First of all, spirit of grief will define your life. The loss now is who you are. That's the person who lost someone. That's the person who is grieving. That's the person who had this person die in life. That is not what God wants you to be known for. Spirit of grief also will control your life. That loss controls you. It determines what you do, where you go, how you function, what your future is. Number three, it'll paralyze your life. That loss actually stops you in your tracks and you just barely exist. You breathe. How many know God has called you to do more than just breathe in this life and function in this life? He's got a job for you to do. And then four, it'll steal your life. In other words, if you get hooked by the spirit of grief, it just won't stop with the person that's dead. It'll keep taking from you. It'll keep stealing from you because that's the nature of the spirit of grief. It'll keep taking things out of your life. Look at somebody and tell them I've lost enough. Amen. So I wanted to talk to you about Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief. But I wanted you to approach this as a believer. Say it, I'm a believer. You're not a psychology student. You're not bound by the dictates of this world. You're a believer. And if you fail to apply scripture to any of these stages, you can get stuck. God wants you to be free. The Bible says whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Moving forward in this process. Why do we get stuck? We don't take a time out from the word of God when you're grieving. That's when you should pour it on. Not less, but more. You, I'm going to give you some examples, but you need to find scriptures that coincide with these steps and use those scriptures to bring you to victory in those particular stages. I'm just giving you some examples today, but how many know the word of God has a lot of truth there? Amen. And the word is truth. Scripture says, sanctify them by thy truth. But here's some examples for you. That first stage, of course, is called denial. It can manifest in avoidance, confusion, elation, shock, or fear. Different people are different. So, try, you know, don't try to create one size fits all mindset here, but it's all a manifestation of denial. We go through an idea, well, they're, they're not really gone. This, this can't be happening, blah, blah, blah. Here's what a, a smart Christian does they go to the truth of the situation immediately. What does the Bible say? For example, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Say so it would be absent from the body, present 
with the Lord. Scriptures like Luke chapter 24, verse 5. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Go straight to the Scripture. Am I communicating today? Go straight to the Scripture. Not a week later, two weeks later, five weeks later. Go straight to the Word of God. Why do you search for the living among the dead? Your lost love of my daddy is not here any, any, you know, any more than Jesus was when he departed. He ascended on high. You understand what I'm saying to you? You're not going to find the living among the dead. It's fine to memorialize, and that's great. It's a healing part. But apply the word immediately. I think about Joshua. He just lost his father in the faith. He just lost his mentor and the one that trained him and taught him everything about the things of God. He's dead. And here comes God right in his face. Moses is dead. Now get ready to lead the children of Israel. I read that and I go, how about some time for grieving, Lord? You get the picture? What helps you move quickly through that process in a healthy way is apply the word immediately to your denial. Amen. They may have died, but if they're born again, amen, they died in Christ, amen. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And what a freaky thing that's going to be if the cemetery attendant is not saved. All over the place. People just popping up. Man. John 8, 32. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 16, 13. But when the, he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He'll not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. What you and I need at the time of a loss is the truth. The word of God applied to that situation immediately. Not five weeks later, not two years later. Somebody tells you, well, one day deal with the truth. No, deal with it as a believer. The word is supposed to be first place and final authority, and there's no asterisk that says you can, you can you know, ignore that because of grief. No, you need to apply the word of God all the more because of grief. Amen. <laughs> and then there are people that get into debates about how their body should be preserved or not preserved. You know, should I have a casket with an open, you know, casket at a burial? Or should I have a casket burial with a, with a casket closed? Should I have cremation with an urn? Should I have cremation with an urn and then cremation with an urn and put it in the ground? <laughs> and then confused about what all that be. Can I, can I help you out here? There's nothing going to stop you from being raised from the dead, no matter how advanced or not advanced your body is in decomposition, ashes to ashes and dust to us. Amen. All cremation does is advances the process. And just so you know, open caskets, Europeans think we're really weird for doing that. Amen. And then you walk by the casket and somebody says, my, don't they look so natural? They're dead stupid. They don't look natural. My, don't, don't they look lovely? Look at how her hair has been done. Well, I'm glad her hair is fixed, but guess what? She ain't in there. She's standing over the rail of heaven going, what are they doing? That's, that's not my makeup brand. 
<laughs> and that's not my hair color. That's not my dress. Bunch of heathen. <laughs> I was <laughs> landing in Phoenix to see mom and dad. And they said, uh, picked me up at the airport, Sky Harbor, and said, you want something to eat? I said, yeah. You know, I didn't need anything on a flight, so we stopped at an IHOP, uh, not too far from the airport. And so they began to get into a discussion about what they wanted done. Uh, you know, and they thought about cremation versus this and open casket versus that. And the funny thing is, I hadn't even noticed, but everybody around us started listening to the conversation. And, uh, of course, my dad had uh, one good eye, had both hips replaced, amen, had 20-some surgeries on his skin to get glass out. I mean, he, he was practically bionic. <laughs> and uh, so I looked at him in the middle of this conversation, and I said, Dad, I'll tell you one thing they're not going to do. He said, one, one thing's not going to happen. One option is not on the table. He goes, what's that? Nobody's going to ask for your body to be donated to science. And the server sitting over here with coffee. She almost lost her coffee pot. I mean, it cracked up. Everybody around us laughing. He's not there. Why do you search for the living among the dead? I'm not poking at me or, or anybody else. I'm just simply telling you that if we're going to be believers, we have to be believers all the time, including at death, including in grief. That's where the healing's going to come from. Amen. That's how to apply the word to the denial. Go quickly to the truth because it will set you free from the spirit of grief. Turn his mind and go quickly to the word of God. Then there is anger manifesting in frustration, irritation, or anxiety. The Bible speaks about anger. Well, I lost somebody I love. I have a right to be angry. Well, you can play that game and be like the world, or you can say, you know what, I do feel some things, but I want to find out what the Bible says about this. Look at somebody and tell them, what does the Bible say about the anger? Well, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. I don't, I don't believe we have to apply the word, you know, when we're grieving. God should just understand. It's not about God understanding. It's about what the devil will do if you don't apply the word of God. You'll give him place. Scripture says in James 1, 19 and 20, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. Applying the word to the stages of grief is the wisest thing you can do. Anger always leads to mental issues, violence, or depression unless you apply the word of God to it. Now what will happen is somebody gets in the spirit of grief, they'll present with violence or some kind of mental issue or depression, and instead of dealing with the root, what will happen is a counselor will deal with the symptom. And what you really needed to do was apply the word of God up front to the anger that you were feeling. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you for your enthusiastic amen. Look at somebody and tell them, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. 
Okay, so you're mad. You just buried somebody. What are you supposed to do with that wrath? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I don't know if I want to be a Christian during grief. This is hard. No, not hard, powerful and true. It'll set you free. Then there's bargaining. This is where you struggle to find meaning. You might reach out to others. You might be telling your story. Apply the word of God to bargaining. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 8, 13, and 14. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is what? Meaningless. But then he goes on to say this. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Here's the bottom line. Without God, there is no meaning. During grief, people will transfer the meaning found in God onto something else, and that's how they get stuck. Before a loss, during a loss, after a loss, guess what? All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the meaning of life. Not transferring onto something else. So I'll just say this because I happen to be one, happen to be what? Happen to be a pastor. Pastors have let the body of Christ down in America, in this area. Because we have facilitated the spirit of grief instead of telling people how to apply the word of God to the stages of grief. We can't expect people to have revelation in the seats if the pulpit's not proclaiming these truths. So we watch people get stuck and demoralized year after year, wasted years and wasted opportunities because of what they've gone through. Turn to somebody and tell them, that's not God's best. Come on, say, that's not God's best. We apply the word of God. We find out that there is no meaning without God. I'm just trying to understand this loss. I'm trying to find the meaning behind it. The meaning is fear God and do what? Keep his commandments. Shout it out. Fear God. And keep his commandments. What was the meaning before the loss? Fear God and keep his commandments. What is the meaning after the loss? Fear God and keep his. Where'd you get that idea from? The word. Amen. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. Number four is depression. Sounds fun. Or you might feel overwhelmed, helpless, hostile, or you might just take the flight emotionally or even physically. But listen to what the word applied to this stage has to say. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. How many know there's powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit when you need it? That's what the Word says. Listen to Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He'll not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over you your life. The Lord will watch over you your coming and going both now and forevermore. Amen. 
God's word, God's presence, that's the best medicine when you feel tired and overwhelmed. Amen. This is why depression, particularly tied to a grief or, or a loss of some kind, is particularly damaging because we get into a habit of approaching things like depression outside the word of God. Listen, enough of God's presence and word will drive that thing out of your life. Come on, say it with me. Apply the word to every stage of grief, and you will, get, you will stay out of the spirit of grief. Number five, last is acceptance. This is where you explore options and put a new plan in place. You're ready to move on. And the Word of God would encourage you to do that. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. Come on, say, God's got plans for me. It says, I have plans for what? For you. The Spirit of Grief says, God had plans for them, and you're worthless. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It says, I have plans for you, and anything that you might have, the devil would say, is tied to the identity of that person. That's not what the Word says. Have you ever heard the phrase, God has no grandchildren? You either come through the, the corridor of the new birth yourself, not generationally, or you don't come through at all. It's the same thing here. You have value and purpose isolated from the person that died. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for peace and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. One translation, plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. Your God has plans to prosper you. You. Amen. This is where you add the word to the stages and the result is you grieve through them and you don't get stuck in a spirit of grief. Say, so God's got plans for me. Come on, say, God's got plans for me. He'll have plans for me tomorrow. Plans for my future. No matter what happens to anybody else. Amen. And then when you get on the other side, he's still got plans for you. Amen. I was joking the other day that one of the first things my dad did was get a hold of Arnold Palmer and Bob Hope and play some golf. Amen. Playing with Moses and Jesus. Says Jesus play golf if he wants to. I would want to play him. How are you going to beat the Son of God in a game of golf? Seriously, if he hits it in the water, he's just going to walk on water and get it out. If he can cause himself to rise above the water, then the golf ball can do as well. He's not going to play with Moses. Moses hits it in the water. What's he going to do? Part the water. <laughs> Hallelujah. But whatever he's doing, he's hitting greens. Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How much of it? All your heart. Not just when you're not grieving. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Isn't that exactly what we do at a time like that? I got to figure it out i got to figure this out. There's got to be something I'm missing here. No, what you need to do is trust in the Lord with all your heart and what? Lean not on your understanding. Acknowledge the Lord and in all your ways He will make your paths straight. What am I saying? God's plan and purpose for your life did not die with the person that you grieve. 
It's still there. You've got people to love, people to pray for, people to help, people to encourage, people to serve, people to bless, amen, people to smile at and brighten their day, people that need a word from the Lord at that moment, and there you are to do it. I'm telling you, your purpose is intact. That's what happens when you apply the word to the stages. Come on, make this confession. Denial, Denial. Plus, the plus the word gives me understanding, gives me understanding. Immediately, immediately of the truth. Say it, be angry, be angry. And, sin and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Bargain, but understand, with God is the meaning. Do you believe that today? Look at somebody and say, when you're depressed, apply the word. Not last place, first place. And be free. I look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When you get to the place of acceptance, you begin to realize that there is life beyond the loss. But listen carefully. You don't have to wait 5, 10, 15 years to get there. Everybody is different in the process. Everybody's different in terms of the time. Everybody's different in terms of the stages. Even the stages themselves should not be taken as a one, two, three, four, five checklist. You might find yourself processing two or more of these at the same time. You may find yourself down on four or five, you know, dealing with that before, maybe some of the others. The point of the matter is, we don't do it the same way. But my challenge to you today is as a Christian, make sure you do it this way. Apply the word of God to every stage. And you will go through grief, but you will not be subject to the spirit of grief. Can you receive that today?